This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you ever wanted to chat with a CIA analyst about how to spot propaganda campaigns or maybe learn what it is like to be a real-life private investigator? I want you to check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Check out Jordan's conversations with Thomas Erickson about how to protect yourself from psychopaths or his chat with Renee DiResta on dismantling the disinformation machine without fail. He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with a noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. There is so much here. There's just so much here. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and happy Monday. Liz and I have always talked about the Murdoch case in terms of monsters being around every corner, meaning that back when we started reporting on this case in 2019, it seemed like every new bit of information led to another monster, another rabbit hole that we had to go down. This week, we were reminded that those monsters don't just exist in the Murdoch world. This week, Eric, Liz, and I couldn't wait to talk about the Gerard Price case. Price, a convicted murderer who was just starting year 20 of his 35-year sentence, hired a high-powered legislator lawyer who was somehow able to broker a secret deal with a solicitor and a retiring judge that allowed for his early release. And it seems like they told no one about this. Not the Department of Corrections, not law enforcement, and most importantly, not the victims, the family of Carl Smalls Jr., who was killed by Price in 2002. Of course, right after we put our cups down on Thursday, more breaking news happened. So it was cups up again. The three of us got together early Saturday morning to talk about the latest updates. So we have a great episode for you in store. Let's get into it. Well, cups up, everyone. Uh, cups up, Eric. Cups up, Liz. Cups up, Mandy. <laughs> cups up. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing great. I like your shirt. Uh, is that because of the settlement you got? It says lucky. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, I feel lucky this week because I'm, fa- I'm starting to finally get over, you know, this uh, knee the knee replacement and starting to feel a little bit better. So I'm feeling lucky. So that's why I put the shirt on today. And you're back in the courtroom this week, huh? I, I was part-time. My partner, Ronnie, and my associate, Scott, tried the case this week, and we settled this morning before closing arguments. So it was a good week, very good week for our clients. Yeah, good. And Mandy, it's been, a what, 60 seconds since we last talked <laughs> with <laughs> Oh, man, what a week. It's really interesting because, like, 
I was not getting bored with what how things were. I was kind of like, it's weird. There hasn't been a lot of movement in a lot of the cases in the last week, but it was, it's been nice also because everybody kind of got to breathe for a minute and really regroup. And then Monday hit. Eric called David as we were trying to come up with ideas for the episode. And then this like super storm. I feel like we were hit by another huge monster, which is the Gerard Price case. And um, you, who wants to explain that in a nutshell? I can, or, or Liz can. Um, what I think it does show before we get into the facts is that we have to be vigilant, that we never can relax with our justice system, that as soon as we start to feel confident or satisfied or we're, we feel like that it's on the right course and the right direction, something can just throw it right back into haywire. And this case certainly did. I, uh, I got a phone call from uh, somebody in law enforcement who, who I did not know, uh, but is a fan of MMP and COJ, who said that there's going to be a story breaking on Tuesday. Do I know David Pascoe? And I said, of course I know David Pascoe. And, and she said, well, he's livid. Um, David Pascoe is the is the solicitor of the first uh, circuit in South Carolina, and and he's he's a very famous uh, solicitor because he's butt heads with Alan Wilson. Um, you know, this week also uh, Richard Quinn uh, pled guilty uh, or nolo contendere uh, an Alfred plea uh, in front of Judge Carmen Mullen again, Judge Mullen. So we had a lot of our old favorites this week. Um, David has butted heads with Alan Wilson and has taken him to the Supreme Court. Alan Wilson tried to get him off the case. And uh, uh, I mean, David Pascoe. And David is a very good prosecutor. And um, in 2003, he prosecuted a pretty bad guy. And he was convicted of, of murder. And he got 35 years. And he was a uh, a high ranking member in, in one of the gangs. And according to David, he, the, the the, the man had threatened David before the trial and even after the trial. And he went to um, Broad River and uh, where murderers go. And supposedly he threatened the warden, the assistant warden, and was uh, running his gang from the prison. And in an extraordinary uh, event that I was never really aware of, they transferred him to New Mexico to serve out the remainder of his time. Uh, so can you imagine how bad you have to be to uh, get transferred out of South Carolina? This isn't federal prison, federal to federal. It's, it's, it's comedy. It's one state to another. So I don't know what South Carolina had to take in return. It's a great question. To give up somebody like him. Uh, and why New Mexico? You know, why not Idaho or whatever? And I don't know whether there was a supermax prison there. And so the, the man did uh, 19 years of his time. And as we know, Judge Manning uh, recently retired. And this deputy told me this story that uh, Todd Rutherford, who's a House of Representative on the Judiciary Committee, a high-ranking minority leader, uh, and Byron Gibson, who is our Fifth Circuit Solicitor, uh, went to Judge Manning and um, 
I don't know the circumstances. Uh, David Pasco was not informed. Uh, the victim's family, I was told, got less than two hours notice. And for some reason, an, uh, a secret hearing was done with a secret order. This is what I was told that um, changed his sentence from 35 years to time served of 19 years. And a murder sentence is day for day under our statute. So if you get 35 years, you have to serve 35 years. And he was um, let go. And we don't know the circumstances of of why he was let go. Was he a cooperating witness? Was somebody's life was in danger? He saved somebody's life. Don't know the circumstances. But what I do know is that our justice system didn't need this at this time. We thought we were over this. In fact, I was in uh, judges chambers this morning on our settlement. And he said, um, we're going on court record to put this settlement on record. He said, and thanks to you guys. And he turned to Ronnie and me. Um, it was judge McKinnon who said, you know, I want to do it on the record. And, you know, you guys, uh, you guys were the pioneers of making us do that. And lo and behold, this thing just pops up and it, it just, checks all the boxes of um, the fears and insecurities that we have that is still going on in our system. What's interesting is that Gerard Price was sentenced by, uh, at the time, Circuit Court Judge Reggie Lloyd, who ended up becoming the director of SLED afterward. So he was sentenced to 35 years, but without the opportunity of parole. So there was not only the statute not only did the statute prohibit him from getting this uh, time served order, he didn't have any wiggle room when it came to parole anyway. So what's interesting, um, we were just talking about this before the show, but there was such a problem with judges sealing court records prior to 2003 that the state Supreme Court, after the federal court did the same thing, changed the law to prohibit judges from doing it in cases re related to public agencies or public figures. And like there are a few circumstances under which you can seal a record. But I will say we have seen such abuse of it anyway, regardless of what these uh, other reasons that you can seal a record involving a public agency. Uh, and what's funny is that when I worked at the Island Packet, my editor, Fitz McAdden, went head to head with Judge Carmen Mullen because she was, in his view, in our view at the Packet, abusing that. And basically, we, in our view, doing something illegal, which was that she was continuing to seal documents involving public agencies. And you had mentioned the Quinn case earlier which is a major corruption case in South Carolina legislature. And Carmen Mullen was involved with that. And so was, like you said, David Pascoe. Uh, so not only is David Pascoe known as a competent and um, successful prosecutor, he is also known as one of the people in public office in South Carolina who's been willing to go up against corruption. And one of the people he's gone head to head with twice is Judge Carmen Mullen as well. So um that's kind of when you say all the players that we've we're well introduced to are involved you're not kidding it's really and just to give you an example just to give you an example this morning alone 
um, the defense attorney, when we announced the settlement, didn't want to put it on court record. And I said, I am not settling a physical abuse case at a day daycare center mm -hmm. and doing it not on court record. It's going to be a matter of public record. It's a matter of public right. importance. And I, I was going to blow the settlement so that the public would be aware that this daycare center had allegations of physical abuse. It's that important. And, you know, we, we just can't have secret settlements. It's just not in the, in the public's best interest. Now, of course, I don't know what information Todd Rutherford and his client were trading in order to get the 35 years to 19. We don't know that yet. No, 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 no. I like, I'm not even going to entertain that conversation. Mandy, you can say why. But wait, before we get into that, um, we also have to realize another ingredient of this is that he has a very powerful defense attorney. Price has a very powerful defense attorney who's also a lawmaker. Um, I don't think Todd Rutherford's name had come up on the podcast before this week, but a lot of people in South Carolina know who he is. He's been in the state legislature since the 90s when he was 23 and in law school. He was elected to the state legislature. And he is the House Minority Leader. He's not just a state rep. He's got a lot of power behind him. And he has his own law firm. And he is a defense attorney. And Rutherford worked for the Fifth Circuit Solicitor's Office. Which covers the Columbia area. Which covers the where this happened. And where Byron Gibson now is the solicitor. So I, I don't think that we can ignore that part. And I know a lot of lawyer legislators really want to pretend like everything's fine with the system. But this just keeps happening over and over again. We have Bowen Turner. We have Alex Murdoch. And we have um, and now Gerard Price. And with these super powerful, and we can see how much how much further they can go with a defense attorney like that. And so with, and I'm with Liz in the fact, and I really started to pause and think about it. Like if this guy had dirt that brought down the entire good old boy system, you know, if he had not even the bloods, like beyond that, everything that I'm seeing from the the law of murder in South Carolina is that it doesn't matter. You have to serve the minimum of 30 years. It doesn't matter. You cannot, I don't care how much information, if you have information that just means that like you get more ho-hos and bee sticks in prison or whatever, your prison, <laughs> your prison time's a little bit more comfier. Um, if you are serving for murder, you don't get time suddenly off and I th 16 years, it's a lot of time. And well, there's also a, a procedure. So like not, so let's just start here. Yeah. They violated the victim's right act. Yeah. This shouldn't have happened because the, in our opinion, and I believe a lot of opinions, the law does not allow for it. This guy had a straight sentence, no parole. He had not served the 30 year minimum. He, hadn't served uh even 20 years i guess uh but additionally he there is no parole the statute literally says you cannot trade information to lessen your sentence in murder now byron gibson who is the current fifth circuit solicitor 
came out with a press release last night, a statement in which he was citing a different statute that said that allows for the exchange of information in an investigation uh, to reduce the sentence of a prisoner. But that, again, that's going to come head to head with the murder statute, right? So uh, what are you doing? So on top of that, like what it was said to me by a source yesterday was, it doesn't matter if this guy had information, this is, you know, 2001 and he had information on bin Laden. There's still a process you have to go through, notwithstanding the fact that this guy couldn't even get through that door in the first place based on the statute. And then let's add to it, they did it in secret. It's like, how are we even entertaining a conversation in which it doesn't matter what information he had. The big problem for me is the most important people were not present, which are the victims. Again, we go back to victims. Who's more important in our system? Is it the lawyer legislature? Is it the, uh, uh, the defendant himself or the victim? This is this is a victim's family that lived without a loved one. Uh, a nice person within the Department of Corrections apparently made that call to them and said, listen, you're about to get an automated call, but I wanted you to hear this from a human voice. Gerard Price is going to get released from prison. Uh, so then, sure enough, they got that automated call. But there was no hearing held, like going back to the that didn't adhere to the process. There was no hearing. And Byron Gibson himself said that in his statement last night. Uh, Do you want to talk about that statement a little bit, Mandy? So as we were trying to finish up MMP last night, we got this, Liz got this statement from Byron Gibson. And I had to really like stop and read it several times because I was like, what is this? I couldn't believe it. And again, I shouldn't be shocked by any of these people anymore, but I still am all the time. What that statement should have said is something really wrong happened here and we're trying to get to the bottom of it right now and we're trying to fix it. Instead, it said basically that Byron Gibson, the solicitor, said that he met with uh, Todd Rutherford in... December, right? Yeah. So this this happened, uh, and I think we're probably jumping all over the place here, but in December 2022, uh, Judge Casey Manning retired from the uh, bench. And uh, he during that month, Henry McMaster, who's our governor, awarded him the Order of the Palmetto, which is one of the highest uh, honors you can get in the state, and basically puts him in a, in a small club of people who are considered like the top of the top citizens of South Carolina. So this is when the secret order was initiated, or when it was signed anyway. It wasn't executed until March 15th. Of this year. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about major leaders and law enforcement being caught completely off guard by this. The way people found out about it, it seems, is because one of the original investigators in the Smalls murder, uh, he heard from somebody who heard from a gang task force member that Gerard Price was back on the streets. Let's just say he had information to take down the entire organization of blood bloods members across the country or something major or significant like that. 
law enforcement would have been involved, right? We're not talking about uh, just Byron Gibson, the solicitor, uh, Todd Rutherford, the legislator lawyer, and a retiring judge. Those seem to be the only people who knew about this this uh, decision. So you don't have the sheriff of Richland County. You don't have uh, it doesn't seem like SLED knew anyway, but I don't know that we have an official statement on that. But Alan Wilson, our attorney general, certainly didn't know. So not it's just it, it's absurd like it's it's it, there's so much to talk about in this that it's like confusing even but the sheriff is very upset leon lott just so you know is extremely upset because he has uh worked very hard on gang violence in richland county and in in breaking up a lot of the gangs and he was not aware of it which like you said liz it's incomprehensible if something of this magnitude there would have to be coordination from law enforcement agencies and governmental officials. It wouldn't be a retired judge, a, a lawyer, legislator, and just the Fifth Circuit solicitor. It just wouldn't be that way. I just keep picturing Hannibal Lecter. You know how he like, it's like wheeled in because he can help with like the serial murders. He can help, he can give his insight. Like it's not even at that level. This guy, even though like he were told that he was considered the godfather of the bloods and he was basically running the prisons, um, but anyway, back to this press release, a statement from Byron Gibson, Mandy, like <laughs> we, I mean, we were, that this is the thing is like, we were done with the writing part of the episode, like that part was done, but it was like the decision, like we talked last night, we're like, what do we do with the statement? Because he's saying, um, I believe my interpretation of the law says that I could do this, uh, but I didn't file a motion the way you're supposed to. But he said that he was going to, basically. I was gonna. I was gonna do it. Right. Uh, so in, in a nutshell, his statement basically said, here's this obscure law that kind of maybe in a weird world could justify this, but I don't think it would hold up in court personally, and I'm not a lawyer, but we can discuss that at another time. And then he said, but I, but I did meet with... <laughs> I did meet with Rutherford a couple months ago, and I was going to sign it and do the procedure, but Judge Manning kind of beat me to it and skipped the hearing. So now, because victims deserve a voice, we need to go back and do a hearing and, and kind of make this right. But that doesn't make any sense because the cat is already out of the bag. There is no... I, who knows where this guy is at this point? Um, I... And why, why, Mandy, why do we not know where he is? Because the Department of Probate, it's S-E-P-P-P, Probation, Parole, and Pardons, has no record of this man. Uh, Callie Lyons, our researcher, checked multiple times with different, uh, tried different spellings of the name, etc. They say, we have no tabs on him. This is how the, these offices work. Just so you know, there's always a deputy solicitor that's, that's a, uh, a bookworm. So a, a politician solicitor has a deputy solicitor uh, that, that's been in the office for years and years and years, the same way that uh, Creighton had Don that's been there for 40 years that knows the rules. So he has a deputy solicitor who would have said to him, Chief, you can't do this. Byron, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. Somebody would have had to have said, if he, if he disclosed it to somebody in his office, somebody would have said, Chief, you cannot do this. It's not following the law. So let's talk about that because let's say like, you know, let's say Byron Gibson that wasn't part of this in the sense that like this was done in spite of him. 
And now he's in a situation where he has to explain why he didn't speak up, basically. Let's just say that he he did not he he wanted to do this the right way and he felt like he was outmanned. Um the question is like what is so wrong with our system that since December, we're now in April, this first of all, we went four months with no one finding this out. But more than that, since March, like so that was a full month before anyone knew about this. So were these guys just sort of waiting for this to be found out? I just think that the conclusion here is sort of inevitable. I don't know that you do this and you think like, oh, I'm never going to hear about it again. Uh, I just wanted to mention this tweet that I saw yesterday as we were trying to make sense of this um, by David Haskins after the absurd, I thought it was absurd, Statement from Gibson's office, David Haskins tweeted, oh, the solicitor discussed with the defense and not the victims. This with the defense and not the victims. I missed the part where solicitors were supposed to serve defense counsel instead of the victims of the crimes that they prosecute. And that is the problem here. Like, the fact that this statement was out and he tried to justify it with like, hey, we were working on a backroom deal with this. With the defense, and then we mm-hmm. forgot about the victims. Oops, it's insane because they are working for they are working for the victims, not the not the defense. They should not have entertained that. Like the victims should have been first of their mind. And do you know what the response to that is, though, Mandy? And it's sickening because we've had this come up a lot when we were at the paper. Like you work for the victims. That's what we say to prosecutors. Their answer to that is no, we don't. We work for the state. We work for the state. We don't. Okay. We do not represent the victims. We do not. <laughs> well, do you work for public safety? <laughs> right, right. You work for the state, exactly. Do you work for public? So, if you're working for the state, then public safety should be top of mind, which means backroom deals to let murderers who have threatened. Think of you or those wardens that have been threatened like that. Think how they felt about all of this. How do you quote a fee? How do you quote a fee on this? Let's talk about this one. So somebody calls Todd Rutherford on the phone and I don't begrudge Todd for, you know, uh, earning a fee. Lawyers do it all the time. But how do you how do you even quote a fee to say, I'm going to call you about getting a murderer off that has a 35 year day to day sentence that's in New Mexico that was transferred out of our state because he's such a danger to our community. And you're going to try to do some kind of secret deal by going to Byron and, and Judge Manning. I mean, that's what somebody has to start asking questions about. How do you even formulate this? There's something deeper here, right? I think there's going to be something deeper because this is so malevolent. Um, it, you know, we were comparing it to The Wire on the show today because uh, this guy obviously is very smart because he – has, like I said, we're being told that he's sort of run the prisons. And one of the names that has been attached to this is the name Jimmy Causey. We were told that Gerard Price had information about the escape of Jimmy Causey, who was a prisoner. This escape occurred in May 2017 at a time when Gerard Price was in New Mexico Jimmy Causey escaped from Lieber Prison, which is a maximum security prison. And the way he did it is he had, um, there was a drone that dropped some tools so he could cut his way out of the prison yard. And he used a dummy, 
uh, to, to sort of fool guards. He was gone 18 hours before the prison system knew he was gone. And the way he knew, they knew he was gone is because, allegedly, Gerard Price told them. Now, this guy, Jimmy Causey, was found in Texas with $50,000 in cash, a fake ID, right? And how do you, as Jimmy Causey, who has been in prison since 2003, this is not his first escape, by the way, and we'll, we'll talk about what he did to get in prison in a second. How does that guy get to Texas so quickly? How does he get a drone to come uh, get him out? How does he get $50,000 in cash in just a few days? Who's funding this? Who's his benefactor, right? So the question, or the I would say the uh, information that I got yesterday was that there is a belief out there that Gerard Price orchestrated the Jimmy Causey escape in order to turn him in and try to uh, negotiate some sort of early release, right? And we'll be right back. As y'all know, we're out on the West Coast connecting with fans, meeting with partners, and having a little fun too. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful. But do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. And Viore makes a fantastic gift for the people in your life who deserve the most comfortable and versatile clothing. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash coj that's v-u-o-r-i dot com slash coj not only will you receive 20 percent off your first purchase but enjoy free shipping on any u.s orders over 75 dollars and free returns go to viori.com slash coj and discover the versatility of viori clothing Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. But I want to talk about Jimmy Causey really quickly because, as we said earlier, there are a lot of names coming up that are familiar. And one of the names associated with this is attorney Jack Swirling, who you guys have heard Eric talk about a lot. So, Eric, do you want to just quickly say who Jack Swirling is? And uh, Jimmy Causey is one of two people that allegedly high on coke uh, kidnapped Jack Swirling and his wife and his daughter and held them hostage in their home. Yes, Jack, Jack Swirling is a, le- a legend in our state. He is uh, probably the, the most famous uh, defense criminal attorney in our state. He's tried over 300 murder cases. Um, he's in his 70s, he practices full time. He's a monster of a man. He's like six feet 10 and he's a huge man with a huge presence and a beaming voice. And 
um, he had represented Jimmy Causey and uh, he broke out of uh, a, a prison and he came to Jack Swirling's house at the time in Spring Valley, uh, which is in Northeast Columbia, and held uh, Jack, Erica, and his daughter for 14 hours at gunpoint. Can you imagine that? Do you remember that happening? I do. I do. We were so, you know, we were just mortified for Jack. Uh, one, he's a, you know, he's a very good friend of ours. Plus he's in the Jewish community. So we're all close and we were mortified for his family and uh, scared, you know, because, um, you know, he did a good job for the guy, but the guy got convicted. Sometimes people get convicted because they actually are guilty. And Jack recognized him. They were wearing masks and Jack recognized him and he came and he wanted Jack's Rolex and money. I mean, it's just a horrible, horrible thing uh, for Jack to go through. And, and Jack's wife and daughter have never been the same. And you can imagine that they've, they've never been the same, never been the same. It sounded terrifying that they held a gun to the back of Jack's neck and duct taped them all. They had just sat down for dinner. So Jimmy Causey escaped from prison in 2005 as well, and he was found in Ridgeland in Jasper County, which is in the Low Country in the 14th Circuit. And he was uh, discovered, I believe, by a pizza uh, delivery person who um, recognized him. And I remember that escape as well. This guy, Jimmy Causey, is dangerous, uh, but still, how does he, how is this man who's been in and who's was in and out of prison up until his 2004 arrest for what he did to the Swirling family. How is this guy getting this kind of money and this kind of resources? So I guess the supposition behind the scenes was that Gerard Price had funded this somehow or orchestrated this in order to get his early release. That said, there was supposed to be a hearing today. Today's Thursday. Uh, in, in fact, in 20 minutes, that that hearing was supposed to be held. And right before the show, we found out that it was canceled and that hearing was to unseal the order. Uh, Alan Wilson's office had called for the unsealing. And uh, there's no need to do that because the Supreme Court Chief Justice has agreed to do it, as has Byron Gibson and Todd Rutherford. So now it's on. But do you guys think, like Mindy and I were talking about this a lot yesterday, it's just, especially after Byron Gibson's statement, the ramifications, like this has just made it so dangerous for so many people, especially because in Gibson's statement, he mentions that this was an exchange for information about the blood. So he's basically put a target on Gerard Price's back. If Gerard Price is even in the state, who knows where he is. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people, it seems like, are, are having to look over their shoulder, especially knowing how what can go wrong, you know, looking back on what happened to Jack Swirling. Let me just ask this basic question. I mean, look, I, last uh, two years ago, I had this situation with Judge Mullen and, uh, you know, Judge Casey Manning's a, a great guy. He's a friend of mine. And, you know, he was not happy with what I did with Judge Mullen and what I was bringing out. And uh, it, How did he let himself get in this position? I don't understand how it happens. I don't understand how you get yourself in this position. Well, let's talk about that. So another one of my lawyer friends texted me yesterday and was like, Judge Manning is a great person and he's he's awesome. I can't see him doing this. There's got to be something. They, they probably snuck something in or something. What did they tell him? And I, it was the same things that I was here. I mean, 
granted, not as many people say that about Carmen Mullen, I will say that. <laughs> a lot of people don't like Carmen Mullen, but a lot more people uh, like Judge Manning and, re and respect him. Correct. Uh, from my, from everything that I hear from people, right? Um, but it was the same things that I was hearing of these excuses of like, that happened in the Satter, that people said about Mullen in the Satterfield agreement, which was like, maybe she wasn't aware of all of these things. And maybe they pulled a fast one on her and blah, 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 and making all these excuses. So the, th the same things were being said yesterday about Judge Manning of like, maybe they, uh, maybe they didn't give him all, all the information. Maybe they blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing. A judge carries the greatest responsibility in the justice system. They wear the robe. They are in charge. They're in command. When they sign their name to anything, it is their responsibility to ensure that what they're doing is the best for public safety, that they, they, they were working for the state. So I cannot think of any possible excuse for why... And when you're dealing with a murderer, when you are dealing with somebody who is very known as very dangerous, if you are signing your name to release that person and to affect countless amounts of lives with your signature, you should be up all night going through every single possibility and scenario attached to this in ensuring that you know everything before you sign it. I don't understand how he, I, I just don't get it. Eric, do you think there's something more going on here that maybe we're going to be shocked by? Uh, I don't believe that Byron Gibson would um, intentionally mislead Judge Manning. He, he was his law clerk. Um, he, uh, Judge Manning was a sponsor for him and a supporter of him. There's no way that Byron would do that to Judge Manning. And I don't think uh, um, uh, Todd Rutherford would, would do that. I, there has to be something more here where this, this man uh, who, who recently was let out of a murder sentence had some kind of major information against somebody major. That's the only thing I can think. Okay, but I'm going to say the word. What about money? Going back to Jimmy Causey. No way Casey Manning, no way Casey Manning would take money. I'm not saying Casey, but here's the thing. Jimmy Causey was able to get that cash, right, right. when he escaped. By the way, because uh, Gerard Price allegedly uh, ordered, quote unquote, hits on two wardens, the result of Jimmy Causey's 2017 escape was that a warden, the warden had to step down. So maybe he got what he wanted. Maybe Gerard Price got what he wanted if he was involved in that. But you have to ask that the question, though, because nothing else makes sense to me. It, it, it doesn't matter what kind of information. Like I said, there is a process that has to be gone through, even though he didn't even qualify for that process. So what is going on here? It's going to come down to political. I think Alan Wilson is going to get to the bottom of it because Todd Rutherford's a Democrat. Um, these are Democrats that are involved. And if Alan Wilson had no knowledge of this, he can look like the white knight. So I do expect that he's going to chase this to the gates of hell to get an answer. And it could, you know, whether it turns out to be a political hit uh, as a result of it, um, I think we will get an answer. I don't believe that this is going to be swept under the rug. I think we're going to really find out. 
yeah, but the answer seems like it's going to be really scary. Right. Yeah, it does. It does seem scary. And I, I think the more time that passes and we're not hearing anything from Rutherford at all, Liz and I texted him yesterday to see if like, you know, with situations like this, you just never know if there is an off the record conversation that could make everything make sense. And he never responded and he's been very quiet. And I just, I really do hope that they get to the bottom of this. And I think that you're right, Eric. And I think Alan Wilson really, he's coming off of the height of the Murdoch case. And I think that he, I've noticed that he is putting himself out there a lot more. He seems to be bigger uh, political aspirations are in sight for him. Correct. And I... I think that that's a good thing in this scenario because whatever it takes to motivate these guys to get out corruption, I don't really care at this point. Everything is so bad and it's getting more and more dangerous. And that's what I'm mostly concerned about. Um, Again, public safety is like the last priority for a lot of these people. And that's the way that it should not be. We didn't need it. Again, I come back to this again. It just, it just, it's like full circle. You know, we think, think we were making such progress and, and this is the worst of the worst. There, you, you couldn't come up with a factual scenario that's worse than this, could you? No, it's really weird. It's pretty bad. And it's, uh, we said this on the podcast and I just keep thinking about it. It's like the precedent here, man. How do we know that in 20 years, Alex Murdoch isn't going to be able to do the same thing? Right. If we're just... If laws are just so loosey-goosey like this and people are able to... Hasn't been done before. Right. It, this is just bad. Has it been done before that we don't know about? And that's the biggest question because, once again, you're just... <laughs> it's Right. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to think of that because, again, the law of murder is very simple. You have to serve... If you're convicted of it, you have to serve at least 30 years. No ends, no, like, no exceptions. That's what the law says. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the sealed documents thing because sealed records, obviously going back to the Satterfield thing, we know that that was hidden for so long because documents simply weren't filed. And apparently that was common practice in the 14th Circuit that these judges were just allowing lawyers to uh, hide these settlements or what have you. I was doing, and we, we will ha- probably have this on an episode of MMP in the future, but I was looking into a case. Uh, I was given a complaint filed against a, a law firm, and that complaint was rather salacious. I mean, it, it, it really showed how this law firm was operating, and I went to get more information about the case. I had the case number, and I went into the public index to f- type in the case number, and nothing came up. So I called over to the clerk of court's office and they basically told me that um, it was sealed, that that case had been sealed and that's why you couldn't see it. And my whole point to them and and subsequently the county's attorney was you cannot (laughs) – I want to know A, the judge who sealed it and B, I want to know why it's not in the public index. So even if it is sealed, you still are required to show that something exists. This can't not exist, right? Exactly. So – 
I think it was in the summer that I had started reporting this. And because of what happened in this case, I revisited the story uh, and my reporting. And I went back into the public index and lo and behold, what was in there, but the case that I was looking for, but it's sealed. So there's no documents attached to it. Once again, though, this, this um, case being sealed, uh, from what I understand, uh, the judge, the original judge on it wouldn't do it because it wasn't proper. And they found themselves a judge who would. And that's, and that's how this got hidden. And it doesn't serve the public well. Every defense attorney and defendant wants a case to be sealed because they don't want you know, plaintiff's attorneys to know, oh, we paid this for this type of dram shop case or this kind of a uh, wreck case. And uh, justice told to give her some credit, um, you know, she obviously gets some criticism for, you know, she can be pretty dictatorial, but she was adamant that she didn't believe in cases being sealed, that there had to be an incredible showing. And she, she was instrumental in rule 41.1, I think it is. That you, you just can't seal cases that are of public interest. And this, what more in, in this, in the bloods and, you know, is there anything more than public interest in this? I mean, a warden's life was a danger. The, David Pascoe, who prosecuted this, this guy, his life is potentially a danger. I mean, come on. Right. And Liz and I were talking last night and I hate saying this, but we are so close to getting, like someone is probably going to get killed in all this. And I hate, hate to say that, but like it is getting so dangerous and this cannot happen anymore. I hope that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back with the system. I hope that before somebody gets hurt, they fix all of this, but gosh, this is getting, it's not even absurd anymore. It's dangerous and it's disgraceful. It is disgraceful what happened there are so many reasons as to why this and there's so many systems in place for this not to happen and it did and we also need to find out like the legalities of how did this happen and everybody needs to be held held responsible because this is it where, where does the order go to where did that order go to did, is it Judge Manning signed it. Where did it go? Did it? That's a good question because if it was signed on December thirty first and not executed till March fifteenth, why that lag? Uh, that needs to be explained, obviously. But I understand that there are going to be times when prisoners get reduced sentences based on the help that they're able to provide in other cases, and that's something that you weigh against the danger to, to society. But I don't know of a situation where you get information from a prisoner and you're like, ah, oh, thank you. Okay, yeah, you can get out. We're going to do this in secret without vetting it first, without making sure that it was valuable. And and maybe, I, I don't know a scenario where we're going to find out that this is the case because it, law enforcement not being involved uh, or seemingly not involved, I guess we haven't heard from the FBI, but seems like SLED would have been involved, seems like Leon Lott would have been involved. Seems like Byron Gibson would have been able to say a lot more than uh, he did. But that said, um, remember earlier when I said that the um, AG's office ha was going to release something that the hearing had been canceled? They did release, as we've been talking, they're calling for a bench warrant to be issued to rearrest Gerard Price. And um, 
I guess it's on now, Mandy, because this is the thing. Like, are they going to be able to get him? Where is he? Like, they're, how are they going to find this guy? And are, is he going to go in alive? He's put a lot of effort into getting out of prison. Yeah, I, like Gerard Price is going to see that and be like, oh, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll be right there. No, he's gone. He is gone. That guy is. And this is just and, and that's the 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 thing. The part about it is that we have no indication that there's any tracking on this guy whatsoever. That's the part that really, really, really bugs me because if there was some secret deal worked out, if there was, it doesn't matter. Um, they should have had tracking on him. If he was giving them information, they still should have been able to follow up with that information. And At least an Apple tag they could have slipped in his pocket. <laughs> I mean, not just something. The very least. Sew it into his pant cuff. Right. Watch him walk into Mexico. And we'll be right back. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Well, I am, I am comforted by Chief Justice Beatty because he he obviously is very concerned with the perception of our justice system. And he has stepped in a couple times over the past couple of years, obviously, to say, hey, wait a minute here. We're we're going to we're going to make this we're going to do something right. So he jumped in on this. And I, I got to believe that he's sending the message down just like he did on Murdoch with Judge uh, Newman and Judge Lee, and um, I, I think he's concerned about how we look. You know, again, as a lawyer, I, I, I just can't believe we're back in this same position again. I can. I feel like that things have gone dormant for so long. Like this is this is going to be. I keep talking about volcanoes, but this is going to be a long one. Like this eruption is just. I mean, there's so many fault. There's so many fault lines. There's going to be so many. Uh, little places in South Carolina that are going to see hot lava come down on them. So I, I think it's, it's about time. We'd like to know from New Mexico what kind of prisoner he was 
while he was there for the last uh, 15 years. That's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he did there. I'm sure he was charming. That's the other thing is that like you take into account what kind of prisoner when you're looking at the factors that go into releasing someone. It's like, I hate even, I'm sorry that I keep doing this, but I hate having this conversation because even talking about the factors that go into why someone would get a reduced sentence is almost legitimizing what happened in a way like saying like well it could be this or it could be that well no it's it should never have been anything so it's it's just irritating but right yeah he was he was a terrible prisoner in south carolina but he sounds like a really good businessman i mean he's smart just like alex yeah, and speaking of can we talk about him really quick jim griffin went on news nation this week and whined essentially for his client and said that Alex really wants to get out of this secret solitary situation that he's in. And he wants to get in it with the prisoners. Do you remember when he was in jail, he they put him in like the COVID unit because for the same reason, like for protection. And he we found that document where he signed away his uh basically saying, like, I don't want to be in this. I don't want to be in this unit. Um he wants in there, man. He wants <laughs> – now that there's a spot, <laughs> now that Gerard Price is out, out of – the CEO is gone. He <laughs> Right. He, the kingpin. They <laughs> need a new kingpin. Right. He's ready. And he's great at that stuff. Like, I'll give it to the guy. He's great at freaking controlling people, manipulating, scheming. He wants a scheme. It's in his blood. And – Somebody said on Twitter, and it makes so much sense, like the worst thing that you can do is to a narcissist is put them in solitary because they want people. They can't act. They can't act, and they, they have no attention on them. And so it's just so funny. And Jim Griffin is like, he wants to get out to help people. Jim, what are right. you thinking? How can you possibly think that this man is trying to yeah. – has any sort of wholesome – intentions right now <laughs> like he wants to get out because he wants to be the kingpin that's why <laughs> i feel like jim has lipstick marks all over his face from alec like just like the most embarrassing sort of like bugs bunny way where he can like get up there and kiss him and just be like it's all gonna be fine like <laughs> i'm not up to anything <laughs> it's just listen if you guys would have asked me um what was the chance of the last month and a half you wouldn't hear a word from Dick Harputley? And I would have said, no way in hell. But Dick Dick obviously has kept his mouth shut. I've not heard a word of him since the, the statement he made in the well of the Senate. I don't understand why Jim keeps talking. Well, I think like you said from the beginning, Eric, that this wasn't personal for Dick. Dick it's just work. You win some, you lose some. Yeah, and he realized that it's a lose-lose. He realized that they're – no matter what he does anymore, he's going to lose there. So he might as well just shut up and move on. <laughs> Plus, people were wishing him butt cancer. And I think that that was what really seemed to really have affected him. The thing that he mentioned on the Senate floor. Yeah, I think he just, I mean, and Dick is out for Dick. You've said that all along, Eric. Like, he he realizes that that's a losing fight and he's not going to fight that. But Jim, who is like... Jim is like a manipulated uh, girlfriend type <laughs> of like... Stockholm Syndrome. He did, and he just can't get out. He can't get out. And he just keeps digging, digging deeper. But it's really funny how, I guess to wrap this up, like, it's funny how still to this day, Jim and Alex still think that, like, the system should bend for them. Like, Alex is in protected custody because 
there's a job for DOC and they need to protect the inmates and they need to protect Alex's safety at the end of the day. They're not worried about Alex's feelings because they have a job to do. And I just can't, it's just like, again, the audacity. You should be lucky that you're not on death row, Alex. Yeah, really. What do you think would happen? What do you think Jim would say if Alex wants to go in gem pop and they put him in gem pop and he's, he's knifed the next day and killed? I mean, that's not going to make the Department of Corrections look any better. That's not going to be a good thing, a good sight for our state. Our state is one in which prisoners right. were able to escape because they saved the peanut butter from their sandwiches to fashion a door number, like a number that they could press onto a door. And then they fooled a rookie guard into, uh, that's the door you let us through to get to our cells. And the guy unlocked it and off they went. <laughs> so that's the state of affairs in South Carolina. Uh <laughs> I think I think that should tell us everything. All they had to do, they got drones flying into the prison yards, dropping things, and uh, they can't get control of these cell phones, and they look ridiculous. Yeah, when Jimmy Causey went to prison, there weren't drones. So how did he figure out how to hook up a drone? I mean, that's what I keep thinking of with Gerard Price is that like the man was in the man was sent to prison like before <laughs> Facebook, when everybody had like flip cell phones that barely worked. Could you imagine? And they just like let them loose. <laughs> There's no reentry, nothing. Could you imagine like the shock? I feel like he probably thinks he's in a different universe, but it seems like he's been able to figure out cell phones. He's, he seems extremely smart, which is again scary. Yeah, sounds like prison is a real, it's the right place to be for some people. And I think it's the right place for Alec. So with that said, guys, uh, sorry to everyone out there that this episode is so all over the place, but it's we're we're literally like in real time absorbing some of this information and there are a lot of players and uh, yeah, so we're just sort of like you're, you're catching us in rant mode, really, truly. Knew this was going to happen. Uh, there's so much news between when we last recorded and now that we had to take a few minutes to talk about uh, the two major things that have happened. Uh, the first being that we saw the order that Judge Casey Manning signed to release Gerard Price. Did you guys get a chance to read that? We did. Yeah. What were your impressions, Eric? Um, it was... Um troubling. Uh, and you and I discussed it uh, about the inconsistency of one, it said that a petition was made by the defense. And then uh, Byron Gibson in a statement said, no, a motion hadn't been made. There may be a technical glitch there that there was a joint motion made. And sometimes people may, uh, attorneys make oral motions in front of judges, but clearly there was an inconsistency it really didn't set forth the grounds that would have been necessary if they could have accomplished what they did. It was a very thinly uh, uh, filled motion uh, and order, I mean, thin, thinly uh, order. I, I was really troubled by it. Um, but as I said to Mandy, you know, out of darkness comes light. Uh, Creighton and um, Judge Newman saved the week yesterday, but we have a real problem uh, with this Gerald Price thing, and I don't think it's going to go away, and I think it's going to um, the hole's going to just keep getting deeper. It's very disturbing. I have no idea how those inconsistencies passed, and 
again, I think the thing with the order is it clearly says he's a murderer, so I don't know why Manning didn't really check into this. And I also did not think that the attached um, reasons for his release made any sense whatsoever. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the man could have... He could have saved a prison from burning down, and he still needs to serve his time. Like, it just didn't make any sense, and I've never seen anything like that. Right. There are a couple of things. The first is that uh, the order itself leaves out two things. One is that uh, this 35-year sentence, was it wasn't just a 35-year sentence. It was a 35-year sentence without the opportunity for parole, which means that this judge, Reggie Lloyd, the one who originally sentenced Gerard Price, he he intentionally made that sentence without parole, without the opportunity for any sort of early exit is, is basically what that says to me. The second thing is that it refers to a motion. And I know you say that you can do an oral motion, but Brian Gibson himself, the solicitor, has said that he was going to do a motion, but that by the time he did went to do it, the order was already signed. So that would indicate to me he's saying that there was never a motion. There's a third issue, which is that the addendum solely cites the reason for his early exit as the Jimmy Causey escape in 2017, the, the aid that he uh, gave DOC. But then <laughs> attached to that are two affidavits. One is from a convicted murderer himself uh, describing not the Jimmy Causey escape, but a, a fight that happened between prisoners and a prison guard whose last name was Miller and how Price stepped in to sort of save him. The second was from a woman named Asia Love. Asia Love was Gerard Price's former girlfriend. She was a um, prison guard who worked there, and I believe until uh, 2011, maybe. And she, in 2019, sends this affidavit saying that, like, he did the same thing. He was a superhero, and he saved this one woman uh, prison guard uh, in 2010. And that this prison guard, her final wish in life was to have Gerard Price have his sentence reduced. So um, that's not mentioned. It's not mentioned that that's his former girlfriend, that she was an employee because she met this guy Price at prison. And they dated, and then she tried to, like, get – this is all according to the state newspaper, by the way. She tried to get a um, – she tried to visit him in prison after she left her job as a prison guard and said that she was his sister and that she had never worked for the Department of Corrections. And they de they declined her visitation application, so she didn't get to see her boyfriend. But she certainly did help him in 2019. So what I'm saying is you have this order sign that leaves out details. You have it, uh, the order itself saying it's based on the fact that he helped in this Jimmy Causey investigation. And then as evidence of this Jimmy Causey escape uh, investigation that he helped with, they include two affidavits about two incidents that have nothing to do with that escape. And that is what our judge signed. That is what Todd Rutherford presented as, as reason. So it's quite disturbing. Uh, and It's really even worse than we thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly. I don't know how they were like, yeah, I, I mean, I know they said they had no choice. So they had to sort of sign uh, Byron and Todd had to say like, yeah, we'll unseal it. But they must have been like clenching big time knowing what was about to be released, right? Mortified. Yeah. Judge Manning, and I said this before, uh, you know, he has a legacy that he wants to leave. And that was pretty much his last order signed. And I think it's going to 
uh, tarnish uh, his service on the bench, which was almost 30 years. I think that Byron Gibson's going to have a lot to answer for. Um, you know, specifically, we've had trouble in our Fifth Circuit solicitor's office with the previous solicitor, Dan Johnson, going to prison uh, for stealing money. Um, and Byron Gibson supposedly came in and was going to uh, clean it up. And, and for for all intents and purposes, he's done a pretty decent job. This is his first real trip up. Um, but I think Todd Rutherford's got a lot to answer for. You know, he's a legislature. Uh, yes, he's a lawyer. Yes, he has an obligation for his clients. And I don't begrudge him one bit um, trying to get this done because that's what lawyers do. It's the job of the solicitor and the judge to uh, make sure that the lawyer is doing the right thing. Um, and people should have been noticed here. Again, there are so many people that have a vested interest in this case, victims, the attorney general, the Department of Corrections. Um, is he being released uh, with parole? Does he have a parole obligation? Does he have post-release obligations of drug testing? Uh, are there restraints on whether he uh, associates with um, known criminals or other gang members. All of these things Judge Manning could have put in that order uh, if the proper things were done. But it just seemed like it was rushed, it was quiet, it was going to go under the radar, and nobody was ever going to see that order. Did you notice the notes on the order um, showing that it had been unsealed in March on, I think it was March 9th, and then resealed after Pro Price was released? I didn't notice that. Well, it's somebody told me that that was an indication that Byron Gibson signed off on that being resealed. So meaning that Byron Gibson can come out and say, hey, I tried to do the right thing here, but it sounds like he made another decision. It wasn't just a decision in December. It sounds like there was another decision that he would have made in March, which is to, again, keep that quiet. So that's something that he has to answer for. And I just texted you guys a photo that was sent to me of what appears to be Todd Rutherford and Byron Gibson on the day that got Byron Gibson is filing to run for solicitor. They're in the office um, the election, it looks like the election office. Um, and I haven't verified that photo to make sure that that's what I'm seeing, but sure is what it looks like. <laughs> so they're doing something. Can we just, just say what needs to be said? And that is we as citizens have a right to participate in this decision. And that participation is through an unconflicted judge, an unconflicted solicitor, the participation of the Attorney General and the Department of Corrections. We have a right to not have a killer be let loose in our state. We have a right to have a voice to that. And when we we give a sentence, we want certainty in sentence. And you said it, Reggie Lloyd, who was uh, head of SLED for a while, became a judge, became a U.S. attorney. Um, he was certain in his sentence. And I am very disturbed that this was done in the dark. Now, I don't know what can be done, whether um, uh, an appellate court's going to reverse Judge Manning or is this a jeopardy situation? I don't know, but something seriously needs to be addressed here. The way that the system is supposed to work is there was supposed to be somebody with common sense looking out for the people as that order was being considered, and there wasn't anybody 
Um, and that's the really scary part. And I think too, the, the fact that that order was sealed is crazy. Um, and when you look at it, it's, and the fact that it's so disturbing and you see why it was sealed because nobody wanted that to come to light ever because they all knew it was messed up. But we have a Supreme Court rule that says you can't seal something if there's public interest involved. What more public interest could be involved than bringing a murderer from New Mexico and letting him potentially back into South Carolina? First of all, this this situation happened in 2017. So if he did help with the Jimmy Causey investigation, that was six years ago. Why didn't they move then? Why didn't they move then? Why did they wait till the last day of Judge Manning's uh, tenure? Right. Why didn't they move sooner, Liz? Mandy? Yeah. We know why. I should say we know why, but we don't know why they did it, as in like what incentive did did the judge, did the solicitor and the lawyer have to make this happen? We don't know that part of it. I feel like we're gonna I feel like we're gonna constantly hear, well, he he kept a clean he kept a clean uh cell. He taught English to uh, you know, kid uh, Hispanic people that didn't know English. That's not what he did. They're gonna I know they're gonna keep adding to it. Oh sure. But additionally, like, I mean, the one thing that isn't, we don't see as part of that order is verification from the Department of Corrections. We don't have anyone from the Department of Corrections saying that this is true. We we checked this out. He really did. It, had he not stepped in, we would have had deaths on our hands. Nothing like that. Why didn't Casey Manning say, look, he's a member of the Bloods. If you If I'm going to let him out, I'm saying he cannot live in South Carolina. He cannot be in South Carolina. Why didn't they have, uh, again, guardrails for this type of person? This is letting out somebody like El Chapo. Yeah, it actually really is. It's like not even an exaggeration. And because this involves two states and should the FBI, is can the FBI get involved in this? Um, is this... They can. It's interstate. I think so. that they yeah. might be involved. Yeah, I think that there's indication that they're involved. That's great. Meaning now, I don't know about before. Because yeah. we need help. <laughs> the situation well, needs the big, the biggest, and the most. Uh, you're right. It's, it's, we're in. We are in desperate, desperate need in South and Carolina. full sunlight and full sunlight. I really feel confident in saying that what we're seeing here is something that's happened many times in the past with other people too. So I'm not just saying that this is something that these three individuals have engaged in that hasn't been done before, but. How do you, how do you think the people of Richland County feel? Or Todd Rutherford is their representative. Do they, you know, that's the problem when you're a lawyer legislature. He's walking into court doing this as a lawyer, but it has an effect on constituents. This well, is let's the talk problem. about that, Eric. What What do you think? I know what one person in Hampton County thinks of him, uh, Russell Lafitte. Right. <laughs> so if you guys want to talk about that, uh, I'm not sure what Richland County thinks of Todd Rutherford, but we know that Russell Lafitte thinks he's super cool. So he is a very good lawyer, a good defense lawyer, but he's not in in the top circles how how did that marriage happen i don't understand you don't understand how russell lafitte hires todd rutherford the day after it comes out that todd rutherford got a murderer out of prison secretly i don't and i don't understand how mark moore who is a former u.s attorney who works for nexon pruitt 
makes the decision to bring on Todd Rutherford on the team. Not that Todd is not a good lawyer and not that he couldn't do a good job. I just don't understand how the union happened. Mandy, what do you think um, how this happened? So let's let's go back a little bit. Um, so a hearing happened on Friday morning. It was supposed to be a scheduling hearing. Um, it, originally, I heard it was just about Eddie, and then the day before, we're hearing rumblings of it's going to be about Corey and Russell and all these other main players. And sure enough, <laughs> it was like a uh, Alex Buddies conference. <laughs> situation they were all there and the weirdest thing was that before the hearing started Todd Rutherford who we've been talking about all week was sitting next to none other than Russell Lafitte and he stood up and said I'm now representing Russell Lafitte turns out he was hired like that morning or (laughs) sometime this week as all of this shocking information has come out about Rutherford's client being released from prison years later. And it all just looks like, uh, we all know, we all know Russell is very, uh, shopping around. He, he seems to not be able to find an attorney good enough for him. And he's constantly trying to get more, but it seemed like this week he found out that Russell, he, Russell found out that Todd has a, uh, has a secret skill for swaying judges, and he hired Todd Rutherford. And I, again, I can't, it's funny how we make these connections behind the scenes of this person's connected to this person, and then they just do it right. for us. Here's how Todd Rutherford is getting right in front of everybody. Todd Rutherford's right in the middle of this with Russell Lafitte. So there you go. What, what about the $300,000, Mandy, that, that that just popped out, that Nelson Mullins was parking $300,000 for Russell Lafitte in their trust account, yeah. and it was just sitting there. What, why, why is that? Well, this was the arrangement because it's from when Russell sold his house. And so instead of that money going to Russell and Susie, the agreement was that it would stay, um, that Nelson Mullins would hold it in uh, an account uh, to prove that that money was still there. Then now where's it getting transferred now? Who gets it now? But can we talk about the fact that like if I were Nelson Mullins, I'd be like, yeah, okay, you're getting that money back. You owe us money, jerk. Like you, you never paid your bills. You never fully paid your bills. So, you know, you have people at that law firm who... I would assume that their uh, livelihood to some degree is affected by that non-payment. So it's really, it's really shady. Yeah. Yeah, That's a lot of money. I, you know, seeing Todd Rutherford there, I wish that I had just an ounce of that confidence to just sit there knowing that all eyes are on me for not a good reason and to act like nothing is wrong because there are things that I did in seventh grade that I'm still carrying around on my shoulders and I can walk into a room and think people still, people are like, remember when she did that? So it's just, it's amazing to me that like <laughs> there are men out there that literally it just does not even matter. I'm, I was really fascinated by that when I was watching it. I wanted to tap into whatever energy that was and just borrow it for a day. Now, how does Russell think that, Getting Todd at this point in time benefits him because Todd has a, you know, a nuclear glow around him right now that's going to have to be dealt with. 
how, how does he think now that if he hired him for his relationships, is it yeah. going to benefit him? I have two words for you, Eric, and it's Russell and TV. The it, that we're dealing with a guy who thought it was a great idea to record himself in front of a, a barn uh, with his cousin and then to air it right before his his federal trial and during his federal trial. So. These are people that do not take advice. And I think I have to say this, like there's always this entire story for me has just been one vindication after another, just constant vindication. And I have to remember that on during the times when I'm questioning myself, because I feel incredibly vindicated by Russell hiring Todd. It just shows once again that we have, we are correct about this person. This is a person who will only do things one way, and that is his way. And you can see that he, the advice that he's getting could be from his family. I don't know. But it's bad advice, and he's it, he is going to fight until the bitter end. He is Russell can't admit defeat Lafitte. So that was one thing. Now, I want to talk about something really quick here. Do you guys find it weird? And Eric, you especially, I want to hear the answer on this. So Corey was there with his attorney, who I think is goals, uh, Debbie Barbier. She was a classmate of Corey's and Alex. Um, so, you know, tiny, tiny world there. But she's just so great. She's so organized and just she's so crisp. She is as good as it gets in our bar. And I'm not I'm not saying female, no. male. I'm just saying yeah. as good as it gets. Absolutely. Like there's a part there where she said, like, I work well on deadlines. And I was like, Beb, like, go, Debbie. Like, good. Yes. You tell them how you work well and make them work accordingly. But she's in the room, and so is Mark Moore, who um, I referred to as a gremlin of an attorney in a letter to Verizon that I wrote after he subpoenaed for our phone records. But Mark Moore and Debbie are both representing Greg Parker in the boat crash case as well. So what a small little – like it was just odd for me seeing those two people, one of whom I have great respect for, one of whom I have zero respect for, just um, knowing that these are the two people we're going to be – seeing a lot of come August, you know? I will say that there was a huge difference between um, their lawyering yesterday. Deborah Barbier came in there just like X, Y, and Z. Oh, we'll be prepared by September. Great, let's do it. And then Mark Moore and Russell's team were like, when we, we just started and excuses, excuses, excuses. And then you could tell Creighton was getting annoyed because Creighton did his whole first of all, second of all. Well, they insulted him. Corey represented Connor Cook for a minute. Let's not forget. And so Corey has information, one would presume, about the boat crash um, that came from Alec and that came from Connor, how, you know, about Paul and whether Paul was driving or not. And that seems to be a big issue for Greg Parker, right? Because if Paul wasn't driving, then the whole issue is moot. He wants Connor Cook to have been driving. Right. So Debbie is representing the guy who represented Connor and also Greg Parker now. How is that not a conflict of interest? If Corey has information about the boat crash itself, right? But Corey's not on trial for the boat crash. He's on trial for the Satterfield stuff and others possibly. But why? So how does that work? If, do you know what I'm saying? Like I do. So is he going to broker that information? And then once he decides he's going to broker that information, it puts um, Debbie Barbieri in a, in a complex situation. So 
Um, obviously, to date, he hasn't cooperated. We we would have we would have known some of that. No, we wouldn't though, because I'm talking. I'm not talking criminally. I'm talking about civilly. I'm talking about Corey giving Greg Parker information that would not have been known otherwise. Do you understand? Like, yeah. How does that? That seems like the conflict to me, but. You know, I don't know who raises the conflict. Then who would be the one to raise that conflict? I suppose Mark Tinsley could, right? Or Joe McCullough, because Joe McCullough is representing uh, Connor Cook now. Not to say, I mean, like if I'm if I'm Corey, I, I definitely want Debbie as my attorney, and if I'm Greg, I definitely want Debbie as my attorney. But it just seems like there's crossing boundaries there. And also, Mark Moore works for the law firm that also has NP Strategy, which is the public relations firm that was hired by the Murdoch family. And we'll be right back. What did bother me was Creighton saying that Jerry and the other defendant were necessary necessary um, charges. They're, they're not big fish. They're small fish. He didn't indicate that they lead to bigger fish. He said, look, it, you know, we have to do it. The, 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 the crime's presented to us. It's not something we would have chased, but because it fell in our lap, we're going to prosecute him. I thought that I didn't like that statement at all, uh, well, to I... be honest with you, because it it, it diminished uh, their crimes. Like he said, look, they committed a crime. They're not big fish, but we're not going to look the other way. I did like that he said, we're not going to look the other way on a crime, but um, why are they prosecuting these guys? How is it that they uh, uh, laundered money for Alex? Were they part of the drug purchasing did did eddie cash the check and give the money to to uh the rivers guy and the rivers guy get the drugs i mean i i, I want to see the chain go up higher to, right. to find out who alex got his drugs from where alex got his where the money went how much did he pay for it that's what we're all waiting for right well and it's like what we need from those three defendants is Exactly that. We need to know what went down, how it went down, and who all was involved. Those guys could have a lot of answers. The downstream guys could know how the whole thing works. And we can't just brush that to the side and then be like, oh, we got the whole, we got everybody because we got these few guys. We still have an opioid uh, distribution problem in our state. And these these lower hanging fruit, I don't I'm not anxious for them to be convicted. I'm anxious for them to help out. I mean, Eddie Smith seems to be a bungling criminal. He doesn't seem to be uh, the guy that's uh, uh, the mastermind behind any crime. He just he's gone along for the ride. He cashed some checks. No, he didn't get all that money. Yes, he uh, bought drugs for Alex. Let's help him out. Let's see if he can give us information on where these drugs were purchased. Let's go to Rivers and find out from Rivers. We have a drug problem because Alex Murdoch was giving millions and millions of dollars purportedly for opioid. And those yeah. people are still dealing opioids in our state. So yeah, sure. instead of just convicting these people like Creighton is, and I'm sure he's trying to work the angles and get them to talk, but... Let's let's give them an opportunity to really cooperate so that we can go after the people that are polluting our state with drugs. So you have these other attorneys, though, that are drawing this whole like the whole reason we had this status conference 
was to talk about when to schedule these things, right? And then you have Mark Moore and Todd Rutherford who just gets added almost as a strategy to continue to draw it out farther. And meanwhile, we just have these like little guys who have these like either publicly appointed or free attorneys who are just like, I noticed a, a striking imbalance in the in terms of how the court regarded their cases. These cases are easy to try. Uh, we don't have to get into it much. We'll give them the discovery. It's just a couple of days. The only reason they're easy to try is because they don't have Debbie Barbier saying, yeah, we're, we need two weeks for this. We're Because they are going to draw that stuff out. They are going to make every little piece of evidence is going to get parsed and, and pulled out and um, so they can find some reasonable doubt in it. But these cases are just, it seems almost perfunctory. It's just something that you can just check a box on. Okay, we we did it. We're, we've prosecuted them. They're done. Not to say what information they have or don't have. It just, it did bother me because you see Russell Lafitte there who pretends to be uh, poor to some degree now has this attorney, Todd Rutherford, and they're using his presence there at this juncture to say, we can't even schedule a date for this because we 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 have new attorneys. So we, we, we're going to need some time. They're going to put every trick in the book to get to get him whatever advantage they can in this court system, whether it's to tire people out and to the point where they can't testify because they no longer work in that role, or if it's to uh, put some time to get evidence lost, whatever they do, they're able to do because they're being paid. But Todd's not cheap either, just so you guys know that. Um, what does that mean? Not- what do you think he makes an hour? It's not an hour. He's taking this on a flat fee and he's I'd be shocked if it's anything less than uh, uh, one fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. He's not a fifty thousand dollar or twenty five thousand dollar lawyer. He's just not. Here's my problem with that. And I think that that kind of can wrap this whole thing up. What if Todd is benefiting from like what if all these what if all these defendants across South Carolina who have tons of money are getting word that Todd can get people out of jail and and prison, sorry. And what if he can increase his fees because of this? I mean, that's another dangerous part of this is that like in the way that he waltzed into the courtroom yesterday, like n- no problem, everything is dandy. Look, I got my got myself another client, a very expensive client. It just seems really, really wrong and really, really dangerous. I think his utility is uh, expired uh, for a while. I don't think there's going to be a judge that are, that's going to put themselves, herself, or himself in a position like Casey Manning. So I think any utility that Todd had, um, I think, has been used up for a while. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Right. You can hire Todd all you want, but you think Clifton Newman is sitting up there like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. This is going to work made him look like a clown. Todd still gets money from that. <laughs> like he still gets clients and he yeah, still- Yeah, jokes on Russell. Right. I mean, it jokes on Russell. And The other thing is we got to see the, how the legislative, um, the how it works when you have a legislator lawyer and they get to use that immunity. Dick and Jim didn't show up yesterday. Uh, and did you notice, was it Creighton or I think it was Creighton who made uh, the point that yeah, Dick Harapulian had legislative immunity, and that's why he's not there for the status conference. But Jim Griffin isn't a, a legislator. Maggie Fox isn't a legislator. Phil Barber is. And any one of those three could have shown up and done this. But they hid under the umbrella of that immunity. And then Creighton said, we're going to schedule stuff in August real quick. I don't want this just to end with Russell, Alex, Corey, Rivers, Eddie Smith, and the other guy. There, there's too many other people that are going to have to answer for what Alex did uh, financially and then 
Alex and the drugs. Like we always say, is the tip of the iceberg, and we know we're just entering into a new phase here. But again, I think the the, the Rutherford Gerard Price situation has opened a new window into how the system was working even before Alec Murdoch, uh, or this is the system that Alec Murdoch was working in. This is how we got to the point that we're at. And I think that that's important to note too. Um, but you're right, Eric, there's a lot that we don't know about what the role uh, Alec's drug uh, involvement is and, and how far and how deep that goes, or how high, I should say, how high that goes. And I also um, am comforted by the fact that as we get younger judges, the chance of what happened with Gerard Price will uh, lessen as we go on. I think when you have judges that get very comfortable on the bench with a lot of lawyers and they're on the bench for 20, 25 years and lawyers who, who commonly appear before them, that's the kind of uh, way that something like the Gerard Price have happened. And I think a new judge, uh, these newer judges are much more cautious I think you're right, Eric. And I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, with that, I say cups down to both of you. Hopefully this is the last time we record Cup of Justice this week. <laughs> it's, hopefully nothing happens in the next 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, cups down. Cups yeah. down. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>